Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey there. Darren Bramer. Hey, everybody. John Epperson. Hello, everyone. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest, and that is Samuel Cochran. Samuel, do you want to say hello? Hey, how you doing? So we brought you on today. I think we invited you to talk about uh, Mailcatcher. And yeah, so let's let's talk about Mailcatcher. Yeah, sure. So Mailcatcher is, is a gem. I think a lot of Rails and Rubyists may have used it in passing, at least on a, on a Rails project at some point. And it, it's just for email development. So it's, it's real old now. I wrote it back when I was starting out in Rails. Um, I was at an agency and traditional problems. You know, we were trying to send email and make sure that it worked, that it displayed right, that it looked good in browsers and webmail clients and mail clients and all those sorts of things. And at the time, there, there weren't a lot of good tools. So um, like we had a thing for an, an app for macOS that I think ran an SMTP server and it was really clunky and it cost a lot of money. And I was like, well, mm, I've got enough code here that we could solve these problems in other ways. So I, I grabbed a vent machine, made use their little SMTP server inside it, hooked it up to a Sinatra app that displayed it. And suddenly we had a like a web native version of this app that didn't cost us any money. And it was great. We used it. On, on heaps of client projects and ended up sharing it with the world. And turns out lots of people had that problem. So it was a useful thing. And since then, it's kind of just worked. It's been in maintenance mode for probably quite a while. And by maintenance mode, I mean, it's not dead. People still use it. I keep it up to date-ish. But yeah, it's in a bit of dependency hell. But yeah, mostly it's just kind of ticked along and worked, which is great. Cool. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately, I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast. And you can actually hear a little bit more about my story about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs, why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. I mean, we use Mailcatcher at work, right? I think they have it in a Docker container and then have everything set up so that it shoots all the emails over there. And I mean, it's, it's really handy, right? It's like, did it send the email? And then you just go look and it's there, right? The only... You said it that part of it was to set things up so that you could actually kind of see the email, see what it looked like. And we were, we ran into a little bit of stuff because we were doing some fancy looking email stuff. And every, even the browser-based email clients do stuff to your email HTML. So it's not a guarantee that it looks that way. But at least it was like, hey, look, all the elements are there, right? <laughs> so... Yeah, it's interesting because there is a lot of post-processing involved depending on where you look. Like I know uh, Fastmail have a thing called Defang, which goes in and completely mangles the HTML. And I'm sure Gmail has something similar and they all do it slightly different ways and strip out different things, sanitize in different ways. 
there's some great tools for testing that sort of stuff. Like back in the day, it was Litmus or Fractal or those sorts of things, mm-hmm. which would take an email and then try and either send it to the actual client and then grab a screen grab from inside it, those sorts of things to, to double check that it rendered correctly across all the things. But at least back when I was doing agency work, you know, we were all about getting it done and being pragmatic. And mostly we were just checking that it looked okay in browsers. And if that was true, it looked okay pretty much everywhere else. But I'll admit the email landscape, it's it's become pretty complicated with all the fancy ways you can render stuff these days. I mean, it, yeah. it does well, pretty good work. Yeah. Well, the thing that we found that was interesting too, though, was that there were certain things that you can and can't assume work like in a browser that just simply do not go in in emails. And then if you want your email to be responsive, right, because we dove into some of that. And it was like, <laughs> we I, I went and read like three or four articles and I'm like, you're doing that? I can't remember exactly what it was, but there were like three or four things. It's like, you're, do- you're doing it that way? That's really bizarre. Just some of the elements they used and some of the ways that they put it together. But yeah, anyway, it's a fascinating world, I guess, that we live in. <laughs> Valentino is know. grinning and nodding too when I said that, so... Ruby is really great with mail <laughs> for for most things. I, I know I've had a lot of trouble getting email to look just right in, in every email client. It's it's a terrible problem. Damn you, Outlook. I mean, to be frank, I, I don't think that's Ruby at all, right? Like, because what no. are we doing? We're just we're building some templates, right? So it's it's all about your HTML and your CSS or whatever. And Rails is a pretty good tool for saying, hey, I want this CSS to go with this HTML, and it goes out in this email or whatever, and it goes to these people. That actually does work pretty good. So the pipeline, the pipeline's pretty good. It's just email sucks to work with. It's like mm-hmm. it's like some of the other things that suck, like printers or things that you just. They just always suck, and that's just the way it is. I think we're still stuck in like a web landscape where we're trying to target old versions of IE. Like that, that's email. <laughs> but there are some tools that make it better, like MJML, those sorts of things that, that let you sort of just declaratively say, here's the email I want, please make it pretty and make it work in all the devices. That, that's pretty cool. And like, there's always been pretty good gems around supporting that sort of stuff. And I'd be remiss not to mention the mail gem, which was a huge effort when it was first introduced and is pretty much the, the backbone of Mailcatcher. Like I, I always... Mm-hmm. Mailcatcher is just a couple of gems mashed together. There's actually not a lot of code in it, and it's 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 rough, but it works. It wouldn't have been built without you know Event Machine having existed and being really good, and Mail Gem having existed and being really good. But that's what I love about Ruby. Like, there's so many good things you just mash them together and a bit of glue work, and and hey, look, there's a thing that actually adds a lot of value to either you personally or like a whole bunch of people. Yeah, I just have to say, if you never had to write anything in the T Mail Gem, you don't know how good you have it now <laughs> in Ruby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have some T-mail shaped scots. Yeah. <laughs> was it wasn't there something way back in the day like that was sort of competitive or or that was like a competitive competing library with Mailcatcher? Because I I mostly use Mailcatcher like in most of my projects now, right? Just, I do the Docker Compose thing, right? Put create a Docker service, run Mailcatcher separately. Mm-hmm. It just it's great. I do have some projects that use like one of the mail interceptor kind of gems and just like dump it in your temp folder. But then you that's just harder to view in your browser or whatever. But I could have there was, sworn uh, there was something else. Letter that. opener. That's what it was. Yes. One of my coworkers actually is, is revamping that. <laughs> but it's it's less of a, a server, SMTP server. It's more of just like a view these emails. Yep. It like I, pops open your browser right away, I think, if I remember right. Yep. Yeah. Well, Rails has mail preview in it too, so mm. yeah, but it doesn't do history. It just you have to kind of like yeah. form, you know. Here's the sh- 
here's the object that you're going to pass to this email and then we'll render it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's less like keeping track of things. Yeah, I feel like the distinct use cases, like there's the use case where you're trying to develop the actual email itself uh, and mail preview is really useful for that because you can feed in all sorts of data and, and do the F5 refresh loop, command R refresh loop. But then there's like the other track, which is, you know, you're exercising a bunch of functionality and you need to click the activation email or something, you know, yeah. you want a record of the things that have come out of the application and, and letter opener is pretty good for that. Mailcatch is good for that. I mean, there's a great uh, Mailcatch alternative called Mailhog, which is written in Go and which I recommend when people are like, Oh, I've got this really complicated multi-user setup and I want to do all these things. I'm like, mm, well, Mailcatcher wasn't written for it. It'll probably work. I like to try and keep it focused to the developer on a machine thing just to keep it simple. But yeah. Nice. So what makes Samuel go, hey, I have this great idea. I'm going to write an SMTP server that people can connect their development apps to and it'll show them the emails. I wish I knew because I want more projects. <laughs> no, that's <laughs> I don't have enough time for that. Yeah, it was just that that agency life, like that, that frustration with... Um, uh-huh with that old app. I don't even remember what it was called now. But yeah, the, the only thing we could really find that wasn't a real pain to use was was this really expensive Mac OS app. And it was right. real clunky. So yeah, it, it was just kind of cool. I've always been somebody who loves, I love diving under the covers and figuring out how things work, and then using that to, to recombine them in weird ways. Like, I think that's a lot of developers, we get into this because we kind of have that joy, that curiosity of diving in and figuring out how to recombine things in ways that weren't expected. Like that's the traditional definition of hacking, right? And it was kind of just that, like, I think I was diving into Rails at the time and being like, oh, uh, Thin was really popular at the time. And I'd been diving around in an event machine being like, oh, yeah, vented programming, that's real cool. I'd had some experience with Twisted in Python. Uh, so I still had some scars that were sort of Twisted shaped and was really enjoying Ruby at the time, despite having been pretty new at it. And yeah, just it, it seemed like a cool way to mash those things together. Like I remember as well, are you folks familiar with Rails camps? Have you been to Rails camps? Yeah, kind of fun to go away for a weekend and, and just disconnect. And my favorite bit of a Rails camp here in Australia is you don't have internet. So you're in the bush somewhere uh, for a weekend. You don't have any internet. Maybe people have managed to bring along like some gems or some stuff that they want to do to, to build a project, but you kind of have to do it all yourself. And my favorite part of that is trying to figure out what's a bit of the internet that I could reinvent, like just for fun. At one time, I decided for the same sort of tickles to be like, I like DN simple and DNS is cool and TLS is cool and but we don't have any of that here. Like how do I how could we do a thing where we have, you know, a little local Wi-Fi network that has no internet, but still let people register domains and like show their projects off and stuff. So I ended up building a little DN simple clone that I called Christen with the event machine. Um, so it ran a DNS server and a, an HTTP server, like I think it was thin, and uh, had a Rails app built with Bootstrap and whatever I had on my machine at the time. But it's cool, like a little crud app that let you bootstrap a domain. And, and I got to the point where I was like, well, it'd also be cool if we had TLS, because we always used to like hijack Twitter.com and, and a few other things and try and put up fake services that so we would have um, have uh, Twitter, I think we called it. And one of the problems was that devices uh, were starting to insist on using HTTPS, but we didn't have valid certificates. And so I was like, well, cool. What if we had a like a pseudo CA and we gave folks a, a certificate that they could trust for the weekend that we supervised. And we could do things like hijack twitter.com, but everyone else could have a blah, 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 dot Rails camp domain or something and, and get a valid TLS certificate for it that would be part of the CAs. Yeah. And like, that's fun, like figuring out how all those systems work and smashing them together. And that's the, the thrill of it. And before the podcast, we were talking a little bit about different, you know, interviewing techniques and how to find the right people and just how it can be a tough process sometimes. And, uh, boy, sending people out into the wilderness for a couple of weeks with no internet. Now that seems cruel and 
<laughs> that that seems like a tough tough sledding. But just you were saying, so without any internet access, but then you could trick people into thinking that they were actually connecting to Twitter.com. Now that is that is clever. <laughs> no, that was not um, my work. That was um yeah. There were, there were a bunch of folks that worked on Twitter and got that working, but uh, it was real fun. <laughs> now that sounds cool. I mean, with regards to Mailchimp, like clearly you have a love for the technology and playing with the different pieces parts. I was actually. It seemed to me like you were uh, coming at this from a so a, a problem looking for a solution. Often, as technologists, we go the other way around. But email is just so predominant. You know, it's it's really interesting, right? It's been around for so long, but it's still so fundamental. And so, to have an easy way to deal with that and be able to test for that is really clever and and solves a definitive definitive need. So good on you. I was just curious on, on the maintenance mode, right? So you said it was just kind of maintenance mode for a while. I mean, was that just like updating Sinatra or updating other gems that it runs on or? Well, when I was a young person, I sometimes made not the boring technology choices uh, and I invented my own way of doing WebSockets. So I made a gem called Skinny that goes with Thin and I, I built a, a WebSocket parser and all that sort of business. And this was the early days of WebSockets. This is one of the other reasons that I was excited to build this thing is um, I think it was like some of the first draft revisions of it. I hacked together this thing that worked in my browser and I was stoked. But yeah, it WebSockets have come a long way. <laughs> They're all complicated. There's definitely other gems that do a much better job like WebSocket Driver and whatnot. And I swapped them in, but it's just Mailcatcher was built at a certain point in time with this custom WebSocket implementation, which hooks into Thin, which then fixes the version of Event Machine that we're running and all these sorts of things. So the problem has been that unwinding that that spaghetti mess of I had fun building WebSocket implementation has has been difficult. <laughs> and it, it probably needs me to like sit down and, and almost completely rewrite the thing to make it work. And then I'm like, well, if I'm going to rewrite it, then I may as well do a front end. And, you know, this thing just it's snowballs to the point where I'm like, well, I could also go outside and get, you know, get in the sun for the weekend. Yeah. So it's kind of been that that situation where I'm like, well, I don't want to break what exists. I want to make sure that's up to, you know, reasonably up to date that people can still install it and use it and what, whatnot. But I've always kind of I've had this itch to be like, well, how would I build it today? Like, how would we do something different? What would make it easier for folks to run and and, and use this thing uh, whilst not creating too much more maintenance burden and all that sort of stuff? So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of exciting because um, I got a, a reach out from um, Sam Saffron at Discourse who was like, well, we use this in Discourse and it's I can see that there's some dependency issues going on. There's, there's something going on. Can we help? Like, can we get someone to, to help you do this thing? And I was like, yeah, actually, I've been thinking for a long time, I'd like to get out of this dependency corner. And I've been hearing a lot about async, the async gems, the Samuel Williams stuff, which is really cool. Like, I, I don't know how familiar you folks are with async, but a little little set of gems that kind of create a really solid asynchronous uh, programming pattern uh, in Ruby and an accompanying library that makes it easy for IO and an HTTP server that works. And it's got a, a solid WebSocket implementation built on top of that WebSocket driver stuff. It's kind of got all the pieces to make it work. I think the only thing missing was an SMTP implementation. And during one of the times when I chose not to go outside on a weekend, I did hack together an SMTP server that worked well enough, but I never got around to sort of plugging all the pieces together. So yeah, Sam reached out and I was like, absolutely. Yeah, this would be great. Like, do you have someone who can dive in there and get it working? And Ahmed came on board and, and did this great PR that 
I'm incredibly guilty about because it's still sitting open waiting for me to actually come and look at it. But it's the it's all the finishing touches. I'm like, Oh, yeah, but there's still some of my spaghetti in there, I probably need to actually put some tests in to make sure I'm not breaking stuff. And so um, yeah, there's this great PR that's that's kind of pulling all those pieces together that, that gets it working well enough. It's on the precipice. And it's, it's one of those things where uh, look, the world's been a lot, and I just haven't had the energy to to go back and and revisit it and land the plane yet. But um, I'm pretty excited because I love this async stuff. Like I think it's a real, it's a real injection of vim and vigor into the sort of asynchronous evented programming in in the Ruby world. I uh, I love that you're like. So first of all, thanks for hopping on here and telling the entire world about uh, the things that you're embarrassed about. That's awesome. But and I specifically <laughs> wanted to talk about that because I think that's like a thing. So there's a lot of issues that we talk about in open source, right? Like how are people going to get paid and things like this, right? But like motivation is totally one of them too. And I just I think it's awesome that you're being honest about the the reality that we all have. That like you know what I had a really crappy week right it was really hard i spent a lot of time and you know this weekend i gonna hang out with my kids and not get anything done and the next weekend you know what i was really tired this this week and it just like keeps happening and and so like these dreams that we have sometimes get put off for a long period of time and so i myself was recently experiencing this like i had i had this pr open on ship lane or I, I had like this problem that basically the deal was is I couldn't deploy a custom SHA, which was a thing that you might want to do if you wanted to roll back or anything like that. Like it's a thing and just kept putting it off for like a year until I was to like I actually needed, needed, needed it and then like finally did it. So anyway, I just I uh, it hit home and I was like, yeah, I bet there's a freaking ton of maintainers out there that are like, yeah, I really want to push this thing. But <sighs> <laughs> just tired. Anyway, I wish there was a Reddit for maintainers, so so you could just post your gripe or thing that you've been trying to do, and people could just upvote it and then pick off the top, <laughs> so the, the 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 most upvoted ideas could get worked on all the time. I feel like it would quickly turn into a wish list, but <laughs> I don't know if that's bad. But I mean, if you can publicly see your wish list, though, <laughs> sometimes it's a good motivator. Yeah, I love it when you think about problems like that, and you're like, "How could you solve this? Is there a product in it?" <laughs> Ooh, uh, <laughs> no, but I think people have had a go at, at trying to do that, right? Like, you could, there's sites where you can go and say, "Like, I wish that this thing happened in this gem or whatever," and I'm willing to put hundred dollars behind it. And if you want to do the thing and prove that it's done, then you can have my hundred dollars. That, that's kind of a cool idea, but it, it doesn't really make it. You know, I feel like money is not usually the motivation problem <laughs> in these things. Yep. I don't know. It to to me, to it seems that it is. it's like the, if you think about yourself in your youth and you think, oh, like I could solve this problem that I think exists, which you don't know if it does. <laughs> if there was a good like input stream for, for those kinds of people, right? <laughs> and maybe, maybe more the higher demand items would get pulled off the list. Uh, there's a problem there. <laughs> I, I mean, to be frank, right? Like I'm very different than I was. 10 or 15 years ago, right? Like, even though I know more stuff and I feel like typically more productive, I also have a lot more stuff going on in my life. I have kids now. I have a house. I, I've had to spend the past like 10 or so weekends cutting down trees in the yard because they, they're, they're like chestnut trees and they drop these spiky balls, but we have worms in the tree. And so we either have to collect every spiky ball that's in our yard for five years in order to break the 
the thing or do what my wife and I decided, which is like, you know what? We just don't want trees with spiky balls in our yards because we want to walk through our, you know, walk through our yard. So, you know, cutting down trees. So you make, you add more things to your life because they make sense to you. And, and those are all competing for your time. I was just going to say, I think that you hit the nail on the head there. I think money is part of it, right? Like you need money to live and survive, but time is really the key factor. It is the most scarce resource. We have so little, so little time these days. I guess you could argue the other scarce resource is land. They're not making more land. Uh, so I guess real estate's a good investment. They, they do make a new crypto every day, so that that you got to be careful with. But but yeah, time time is such a scarce resource. And I recently uh, participated in the Gosu Gem or library at a game jam recently. So I'm like, okay, I had some ideas in my head. I I participated. It was a week long, and I will. <laughs> speaking of things we're embarrassed about, I spend more time than I'd like to admit working on my game. And there were others that were, you know, I would admittedly better than mine. And we were talking on Discord and some of the some of the folks spent like so little time. There were, you know, things came up like you said, like there's something with their family or with the job or with whatever. And they just spent like a handful of hours and they were able to be a little more productive than I was. But yeah, I mean, and t- time is it. Now you could also argue time is money, but um but that that is the key factor. There's too many things to do on any given day. I feel like I use a lot of my uh, like engineering and developer energy um, these days on my actual job too. Like I, I have a, a full-time engineering job that I love um, at a company full of, of great people and we solve interesting problems every day. And I feel like a, a, you know, my, my little internal reservoir of, of how much context I can have in my head and how many interesting problems I can solve in that context is, is pretty depleted by the end of the day. And then I get to the weekend, I'm like, I'd rather go outside and get some sun. So it's a lot of that balance too. Like I feel like when I was younger, I might've been working for an agency, might've not been doing stuff that was as interesting or, or as challenging. And so they, the, the counterbalance of that was, what are the, like, what gems could I make? Like what problems could I solve that will, will be uh, ticklers for my brain as opposed to like, okay, now I'm, I'm a bit more interested in, you know, I understand business without wanting to use the word business, but you know, like there's, there's, there's fun, interesting problems that are technical and business and organizational and, and all this sort of stuff. And, and that's how I spend my brain. So my brain spent, <laughs> I get to the end of the day, I'm like, Oh, yeah, I feel real guilty about this stuff. But I don't have anything to give today, or this weekend, maybe next weekend, I feel the same way. I feel like I used to, when I was younger, I feel like I used to be able to like, really be focused and sharp for like 12, 14 hours a day. And I'm with you. I just I, I run out of gas before before that anymore. I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or what. Now here's a perfect example too. You know, life gets in the way. So tonight we're recording on a Thursday, and I have uh, that long list of stuff we've just been talking about things I'd like to do. However, Thursday night football is on tonight. So what is Darren going to do? Am I going to work on my project? This is American football. So. As uh, you know, am I gonna, am I going to work on my projects, or, or am I going to watch? Which is probably, I think it's like the Jets and the Colts. So it's like, no, you know, we're not really even talking Super Bowl contenders here. No offense if you're a Jets or a Colts fan. So, <laughs> but what do you think I'll end up doing? <laughs> yes, Samuel, you've had this gem available for quite a long time now, and I, I can't imagine, <laughs> like you've, like we've all kind of been griping on, you know, having to maintain that, have people come with requests or. You know, the the async uh, PR that you have is is great. It looks like a great addition, but it's also pretty big, right? Like, which you have to spend the time to to go through, and like you said, maybe even add more tests that you think might be missing or catch cases. So, I guess, how have you stuck with it so long? 
<laughs> what what's it what's kind of like your motivator maybe some some tips on for others that might find themselves in this position mm, good question i guess i don't know i, I think I'm a bit of a people pleaser. So I'm probably a bit intrinsically motivated by the idea that there are people using this thing that enjoy it. And so I feel a, a commitment to helping them continue to, you know, succeed and whatever they need from it, I want to make sure that it keeps giving, which is probably also why I'm a bit nervous about this big change, like making sure that it comes in well, that it's maintainable, that it doesn't, you know, reduce stability or, or reduce, um, maybe the, the install target base, you know, maybe it doesn't work on Windows. I don't know. I can't, I haven't tested it yet. That sort of thing. So uh yeah it's a bit of that responsibility as well that makes it a bit more like i, I want to be careful um but it's also very like that that is really rewarding like the people are getting value from this thing and yeah um i guess it's kind of just that like uh, it, it kind of i see requests coming through my mailbox and i actually get a bit excited sometimes because i'm like oh somebody's using this this is great like they've they've hit a thing and maybe i can help them you know fix that or work around it or or be like you know, sorry, I'd love to fix that, but I, I don't think it's part of this project or I think it's out of scope or whatever. But it's still, I think it's still just really rewarding to, to know that somebody's getting value out of this thing, that it's that's helping them deliver something that they're trying to do, whether they, I hope they enjoy doing that. Yeah, I, I think there is a lot of that intrinsic motivation. Um, uh, and, and that just keeps it going. But like, it, it, the great thing about this project is it's kind of um, Mailcatch is kind of f finished, like it's feature complete enough that it doesn't require a lot of active maintenance. Like most of the the issues or PRs that come in are like, oh, hey, I'm bumping this gem like a tiny minor version because they uh, added a patch that makes it work on the latest macOS or something like that. So, so they're usually pretty small issues or, or contributions, um, but like always valuable. So yeah, I, I think it's it's not too much of a burden. <laughs> like, I, I feel like I framed it as like, oh no, what was me maintenance of gems? But um, it, it's not really that. Like, it's 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 a real pleasure to to have that thing and and hope that people find it valuable. Time is of the essence when identifying and resolving issues in your software, and our friends at Raygun are here to help. Their brand new alerting feature is now available for crash reporting and real user monitoring to make sure you're quickly notified of the errors, crashes, and front end performance issues that matter most to you and your business. Set thresholds for your alert based on an increase in error count, a spike in load time, or new issues introduced in the latest deployment, along with custom filters that give you even greater control. Assign multiple users to ensure the right team members are notified, with alerts linked directly to the issue in Raygun, taking you to the root cause faster. Never miss another mission-critical issue in your software again. Try Raygun alerting today and create a world-class issue resolution workflow that gives you and your customer peace of mind. Visit raygun.com to learn more. Their simple usage plans start from as little as $4 per month with unlimited apps and users. That's raygun.com to start your free 14-day trial. On maybe what what you think, Samuel, it might be missing from open source in general that maybe could have could help move some issues along or help you uh, maintain it a little easier, make your life easier. That's a very big question. So I, I heard I'm really terrible with names, but I remember listening to the um, the maintainer of the the SQLite library, I think, or the the gem. Mm, I think I'm misremembering a fact. I remember there was some discussion recently about like open source, but not on open contribution. Like people are trying different models around open source and and maintenance and and stuff. Like, is it easier to provide a project that is free to use and free to like look into and you can fork it and all that sort of stuff, but 
maybe contributions aren't as welcome. Like you don't want to try and project manage your your open source hobby thing. Yeah, I, so like that's not necessarily something that I want, but I I really like that there is exploration of these ideas. Like, are there other models that are not just like throw PRs at me and I'll sift through them and and try and figure it out or that sort of thing. I I also really like like I think GitHub have put a lot of effort into first time issue stuff and like trying to help new maintainers get involved in projects and and try and take some uh, like spread across the burden of deciding what should be contributed and what shouldn't or like you know I feel like half of the um the effort involved in maintaining a project is is just getting everyone to understand like what the project's about like what's in scope what's out of scope how contributions are welcomed what the process looks like all that sort of stuff and there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work trying to figure out well what are the what are the sustainable models like how how do we do this well uh in a way that the people contributing are having a good time the, the people maintaining are having a good time what's the time to ha- hand over a project like if you're a primary maintainer of something and you've been looking after it for years maybe it's time to find a new a new person to look after that thing after a certain point i, I feel like i'm i'm still in the mail catcher is my baby phase but maybe one day i'll i'll want to hand it over but yeah i i think the exploration of those different models it is really interesting and i'm i'm hoping that that you know services some tools that that helps open source keep going and propelling and thriving. You said some things in there that I think are like super interesting, right? So I actually kind of agree, I think in some ways. Uh, so I think that we're kind of, we're no longer in the place where we're arguing whether open source is better or not. It's just a part of our world now. We're sort of in a post whatever that argument is called state, right? Now we're trying to decide like, okay, well, we've got this thing. It clearly has value to us. Like, and now we're just trying to decide what to do with it, you know, how to maintain it, who should do it, like, how do you transfer things, like, after a maintainer can't handle it? Like, we're totally, like, beyond some of those questions. I, I mean, I, I there's still some argument at the edges, right? Like, some people are like, well, this thing shouldn't be open source, or, hey, here's a problem, right, with open source, like, some random guy committed something to some NPM thing, and it just, like, it's used by a million other npm things and so now my code is hacked right so um there's obviously some stuff at the edges but yeah i kind of think that we're in that post phase and we're just figuring out stuff which is actually different it was just something that I, you were just talking and i was like oh my gosh this is the thing samuel i was going to ask a, a tactical question i was looking through the the homepage for mailcatcher and i noticed a statement that caught my attention it says please do not put mailcatcher into your gem file I'm assuming you didn't reach that decision lightly. What, could you tell us more about that? Yeah, yeah. So a common thing that kept happening, I kept getting issues being like, oh, can you upgrade Rack because you're holding back my Rails application? And I realized that people were putting it in in Bundler, but it's kind of, yeah, it's interesting. So Mailcatcher is in that like dependency hell that I was talking about earlier. So it's very hard for me to bump uh, some of the major versions of things because uh, they're, they're held back by weird event machine bugs or something that I've worked around in specific versions. And so, like, if you combine that with an application's full dependency set, uh, it tends to you know, interoperate in weird ways, and either Mailcatcher will load something that is a slightly different version, or your app will be constrained by something that Mailcatcher requires. And ultimately, I think while I released it as a gem, it's not—it's almost not really a gem. Like, it's—it uh, is a command line tool that happens to be written in Ruby that uses uh, Ruby gems as the dependency set. But it's not it's not a library that your application is using. It is a tool um, that you're using beside your application. So uh, yeah, that, that was my advice was um, please, please don't put it in your gem file. Like make a note in the readme, say you can use Mailcatcher to, to catch uh, email and yada yada. But it's 
it's probably more like the other pattern I see is if you have a development team that tends to use macOS, you'll often include a brew file. And the brew file will use Homebrew to install things like Postgres or, or whatever. It, it's more in that category of like it's the dependency for your application as opposed to this is a direct library that your application will use and needs to fit in with the rest of the libraries in your application. That's, yeah, it makes sense. I'm, I'm guessing most people wanted to run it kind of inline or embedded with the app. I mean, they could certainly run it as a separate executable or, I mean, what you're really describing is it's, it's a, a, a utility really, and you can run it separate. Yes, it uses Ruby and gems mm-hmm. and all of the good stuff they were used to, but yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I think it's a common pattern to run it in Foreman or something like that, you know, in a, in a process manager of the or Docker Compose these days. But yeah, in- installing it separately as a separate utility as opposed to as part of your application and the libraries that it comes with. It's wild to me because like, I don't think I'd put anything in a gem file that I wouldn't allow. <laughs> While I don't try and install dev and test stuff in production, I also don't want stuff in my gem file that I'm like, would be surprised to see on a production box because it's been installed incidentally for some reason, right? So I don't think uh, like those are the things... I'd always be like, ooh, does that belong in the gem file? I don't know. I'm trying to think of the library now, but I thought there was a way you could create binaries for Ruby software, like gems. There's, there's been a couple. I can't think of the names right now, but yeah. um, I have I have tried a couple of times with that sort of thing. But um, just uh, the being able to say gem install mailcatcher is is great. Like That's hard to beat. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've had a couple of goes of putting it into Homebrew as well, but then that would only work for macOS people. So then do you have to put it in an app repository somewhere or whatever? I was hopeful MRuby would If it only works on problems. Mac, that's fine. I mean, it, it does solve all the problems. It's just that there's there's a whole, ho- like as soon as you decide, I mean, creating the binary is only one piece of the pie. <laughs> like delivering the binary to people is the thing that you're not thinking about, right? And creating the pipeline that creates binaries for all the different targets that you might have. Well, didn't... Uh... Didn't Nokogiri just solve this problem, kind of, with the packaged binaries and their and their library? Hmm. Thought, it, it's, it still has its own problems. I thought we were going to say it solved the problems by going away, but that's not totally true either. <laughs> the other thing I considered was was actually vendoring gems into the gem. So, like having a having a gem that didn't rely on any other gems in, in Ruby gems, but was just using it as a distribution channel, and then yeah, having having the actual either the gem balls or, or like an exploded version of the gems uh, in the Mailcatcher gem. One of the things that held me back from that was it's built with a vent machine, which has native extensions and blah, blah, blah. So uh, I, I did notice the Nokogiri stuff come up and I was like, ooh, could I do, I could do something similar like that, but I could also go outside and get some sun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like that would, it, that would be a huge like nightmare to maintain. I mean, I, I get it if like you end up <laughs> having to make that call, but that's a hard call. I feel like that's something that's happened the further I get into my career, like the more I'm thinking about, well, what is the maintenance surface area? What legacy am I leaving by the thing that I'm about to do? How, like, is it going to make my life harder? Is it going to make my team's life harder? Is it going to make the community's life harder? Like a lot, you start thinking more broadly about those sorts of challenges. I'm like, okay, well, is there a more tactical thing that I could do here that is less of my effort and either pays down some of that legacy or, you know, at least doesn't create as much? Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we're kind of getting toward the the end of our time. Is there anything else we want to make sure we cover here? I mean, it's been really interesting to kind of talk through this journey of open source and get your perspective on some of these things, especially on something as widely used as Mailcatcher. We uh we didn't jump into it, but I I did kind of wonder if you might like tell us a little bit about why async is exciting. 
versus a vent machine and the fact that we all hate a vent machine because it's been the source of like every problem for many years. But thank you everyone who wrote, who's been involved in a vent machine because like so many things are possible because of that, right? Yeah, I feel like a vent machine is a really incredible library and, and has a lot of great maintainers that have done a great job on it for, over the years. And it's it's lasted so well. Like that's one of the reasons that Mailcatcher is, is just sort of feature complete and, and just works mostly is that that gem does all the hard work. But uh, it is nice to see alternative models come up as well. Like Event Machine, it's very much that twisted model of of go and hijack all the libraries and figure out how to make it the right flavor. I think one of the exciting things about Event Machine uh, about Async and its approach to I/O is that there there's like a TCP socket class which you can kind of mix into anything that currently uses sockets, and it'll just work. Like it, it manages to hook into the right places and makes sure that uh, mm-hmm. if something ends up blocking on a network operation, it'll bubble up and something else in the reactor will run. And I think uh, one of the most exciting recent developments around that is the the native support that's been added in Ruby 3.1, maybe the fiber scheduler implementation stuff. So there's like some native Ruby hooks and support. So, so async doesn't need as many um, native extensions or even any, I think, to, to do that stuff now. It, it's kind of, it's almost a, a blessed, uh, this is how you do async programming implementation these days. But yeah, it's really exciting that, that there's a, a really efficient, but also really powerful and, and I think easy to conceptualize. Like I, I think the async pattern, because it's not that twisted model of, of like you're handling events explicitly and, and trying to switch between them and do all the things. Um, async's more like, like what we've learned to do in JavaScript with promises and, and async await, where you're kind of just writing procedural code and it knows like at the right moments, it'll pause and, and yield to the other part of something else that's happening in your application. And then it will come back in. And so you can still think about your program as a procedural thing. Uh, like that, that, that style of programming, I think, makes it a lot easier for people to build good, uh, resilient, concurrent programs. And, and that's kind of why I'm excited about async is it's got all of the performance juice that you want from concurrency, but it also makes it easy to reason about and achieve good results with res- res- resiliency. Nice. I think that answers my question. So. How does it affect Mailcatcher library? Well, what are the benefits of using async for Mailcatcher versus event machine? Well, the main benefit is it gets us out of that dependency lock. It's it's nice to be compatible with modern Rubies and and you know I, th- I think Thin the version of Thin that we're locked to because of my novel WebSocket implementation, it's it doesn't compile cleanly on macOS. Like I think you have to add a flag these days or something. So all of that sort of stuff, I'm, I'm really excited to be like, okay, it'll just work. <laughs> and actually, there's like, it's getting better with newer Rubies, not worse. But it, it does simplify things a bit. Like the, the actual code base, I think, is a little bit nicer uh, with async. And I think it's going to get nicer. Like the, the, the PR that's in flight is very much like a lift and shift, get it working. But I'm kind of excited to do a bit of refactoring and be like, oh, maybe this will actually make it nicer and, and easier for contributors to get on, on board and make contributions maybe in future. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, the, the main thing is unlocking that dependency hell is going to be great. But it's also just a really pleasant thing to program with. Like, I, I feel like Event Machine did so well at getting us doing event programming, but it's still event programming. Whereas async is more like, it's just programming, and it does the right things nicely. Hey, it's okay, Samuel. A valid reason to do something is programmer happiness. I mean, you know, we are in the Ruby community, we all know that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. That's why cool. I'm still using Ruby these days. Yep. Yeah. Unfortunately, at work, a lot of times, yeah. Why do you want to do it? Well, because it, it, it makes this and this and this nicer. And your boss looks at you and goes, oh, we'll work on the other stuff. <laughs> so, so, yeah, it's, 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 yeah, that's life. Say so That's why we use 
important words like technical debt and other things, what you really mean is like it really stinks to work in this place, but it has it has technical debt and it's making it harder for me. I mean, to be I think it's perfectly valid to say it's harder to reason about this thing, so I go slower, right? Yeah. But I agree. But I I, hmm. I know what you're saying. Like when especially when you have a boss that, you know, is far removed from coding, right? Then you mm-hmm. literally have to explain everything to them every time and give them context. Right. Right. Well, and it's so abstract to say it's harder to reason about. And so it's going to take longer to work on or it's going to be more effort to maintain because what they want to know or see or hear or whatever is effectively this is going to eventually cost us so much money or this is going to, you know, they want to know how much time it's going to save. And it's hard to know, right? It's hard to quantify that in a lot of cases, especially if you're pulling something as core as event machine, right? And putting something in like async, right? And that's one of the nice things about open source in some ways is that if if it's your project, you know, you provide the oversight so you can just sign off on it. But yeah, anyway. No, I mean, you're right, right? Like you, you own the risk for that project versus like when you're at a company and somebody up high owns the risk and they don't want to give you the decision-making authority, right? So it's, you know, it's a different social structure that gets in the way. I I have to say that I am really, really good at asking for forgiveness on some of this stuff. (laughs) And basically it was, well, I was working on it anyway, and I didn't think it would take that much more time for, or, well, it needed to be done, so I just did it. And at that point, they usually don't argue with you. It's very so. true. I like to sprinkle on a few. It'll increase feature velocity as yeah. well. That, that you, also tends to help. You do have bit. to like not do that every day, though. <laughs> you have yeah. to you have to pick a few <laughs> things to die on the hill over. Well, pick your the battles. Thing, yes. though, just to throw this in, and then we'll go to picks because we are running out of time. Is that in a lot of cases, what really helps is when you go and do something, and then somebody else notices right? Publicly notices. So for example, true, we kept getting and this happened on the project that I'm working on. I kept telling them that we needed an admin interface, right? Because we kept getting requests from the business team saying, can you run this rake task again? And, uh, you know, our answer was always, yeah, let's we'll go bug the DevOps guys for you, right? Because they actually had to run it. And then we'd monitor it and then get the anyway, it was a giant hassle. And so Eventually, I was sitting around waiting for them to tell me what the next thing to work on was. And then all of a sudden, we had an admin interface with a whole bunch of buttons for them to run all those rig tasks. And well, by the time I finished it, there were two of them, but it was the ones that they were asking us for a lot. And so the next time they asked, I said, well, have you tried this, right? Because I got it through the deploy process. The PM knew about it. I got all the sign-offs once it was, because once it was in, it was in. And yeah, all of a sudden they come back and they go, this is really nice. We were able to run it like three times. And then, of course, (laughs) one of my coworkers goes, we're going to do this with all the other right tasks. So he went and, you know, basically copied what I did on like the rest of them. And, And sometimes that's what it takes, right? They have to actually see it. And and so if you're seeing this kind of payoff with something like async, right, if you're using it and then you're going, you know, this would be real nice over here or you know, in the case of uh, discourse, right? They're they're looking at it and they're going, this would, this would be really nice for us because it allows us to modernize our testing stack or our development stack. 
Yeah. And then you're coming in and you're saying, yeah, it makes it a whole lot more pleasant to deal with. I, I think that's the payoff. And I think a lot of times open source is the place where we kind of prove that out, right? Where we go, hey, this made this kind of a difference over here for Mailcatcher. Why wouldn't it make the same difference over here where we're stuck on event machine and trying to figure out what to do with it? So I, I was I was making a point is but the, the thing is, is that's what I like about it is it's like, hey, we can go experiment on this stuff. We don't have the work oversight or you can do it. Just do it and ask for forgiveness. But the point is, is that you then you have an example you can take back and say, hey, this is the kind of difference it made. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, Go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. All right, well, let's do picks. And uh, I've been avoiding overusing this, but I do have a soundboard. So I'm gonna picks. There we go, picks. All right, Valentino, what are your picks? Thank you, Chuck. That was great. So I have a couple picks. Some are kind of related to the discussion here and the internals of the mill catcher gem. Shopify's Toxy Proxy. It's basically a TCP simulator so that you can simulate network conditions. They use it for doing some kind of uh, resiliency testing, chaos engineering. I'll definitely check that out. Another one is just a... From the Ruby source, there's a ton of sample code nestled in the, the Ruby source code itself. One is a simple TCP server. Uh, it's kind of interesting. They, they have a single-threaded and multi-threaded example, which is kind of fun that just echoes out whatever you give it. So if you wanted to chat with yourself, <laughs> you can use that. So I'll post a link to that as well. All right, Darren, what are your picks? All right, just to be clear, you can never overuse the soundboard. So just feel free. Okay, so for my pick this week, I'm going to give a shout. It's not a thing. I'm going to give a shout out to the good folks over at Engine Yard. I worked with them for a year. I was I did uh, developer evangelism for them. And they, they do a great job. So if you don't know them, they're great with Ruby. And if you want to host Rails apps, they can work with you. And they do they do good work. They've got great content, reference information about Rails apps and things that like, oh, I, how do I do this? How do I do that? So uh, they have a, another article in a series on doing encrypted credentials in Rails. So it's a good summary in the evolution and it points to how you manage it with the current version. I will say when I worked with them, I would spend time putting what I thought was good content together and informative on different Ruby and Rails architecture topics and, you know, other detailed things. And so many times when I would, after publishing a new post, I would go look at the metrics uh, a few days later. And those darn articles about the encrypted credentials on Rails sometimes got more views than this article that I poured my heart and soul into. I'm like, oh, why is it? But it's just good reference information. So... I will give them a shout out to today, and that, that's my pick. Awesome. John, what are your picks? 
All right. So, so my first pick is slightly motivated because uh, by the fact that I am headed to RubyConf next week. And I was like, oh, crud, I'm going to be on a plane. I need to have a mask that, like, I can be, you know, or, and, and I'm going to be, you know, at the conference all day. I'm going to have to wear a mask all day. Because I've been, like, literally quarantined pretty much in my house since day one. So most days I don't wear a mask because I'm in my own house. But now I'm going to have to, like, wear a mask. So I, like, you know, gone on Amazon. I thought that, you know, I was going to have to spend a buku bucks. But actually, masks are pretty cheap at this point. So... I guess just uh, I'm not exactly. I think I think I'm just recommending looking for cheap masks, really. But yeah, I just got a handful of masks that I just got them today. Relatively comfortable. I'm gonna be able to live with it. And yeah, so that that one's cool. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is just recently started using. So I didn't even know these existed till like a month ago. But they have these things that are like like sheets of paper or whatever so it's it's basically laundry detergent but it's not like it's not liquid it's not like powder it's not like a pod it's just like a little sheet of paper or whatever that yeah whatever it's kind of cool and it works and it takes up a lot less space on my shelf i've only look i haven't been using it for long it's very cool i have no idea if it's like better for your environment they say that it is but i i you know i Duh, of course, they said that it's better for the environment because they're trying to sell it to me. <laughs> but so I, I don't know, you know, there's not been studies on it, but it was super cool. And uh, I've had a great time. So uh, and I'm going to try like uh, I have no need for it next week, but uh, we are going to take a longer trip later. I'm going to try and take it on a trip and see if that is better than other like going out and buying a little tiny bottle of laundry detergent that you then throw away because you can't bring it home. That kind of thing. So those are my picks for today. Cool. I'm going to throw out a few picks. So if you go to topendevs.com, I have been actively working on updating that website. So just letting folks know about that. A few things that aren't on the main page. One is the coaching page. So if you're looking at going freelance or you want help starting a podcast or you're looking for any kind of coaching, I tend to do the first coaching call for free. And then if it's a good fit, you know, then we kind of figure things out. You can get to that at topendevs.com slash coaching. And then Top End Devs itself, I'm planning on putting together some content in various forms. One is, is I'm looking at doing something that's pretty similar to like Railscast style, but for different technology sets. So, you know, I'm looking at like Hotwire, maybe some uh, JavaScript fundamentals, things like that. I don't really want to go directly head to head with Drifting Ruby. I think uh, Dave does a good job, but there probably will be some Ruby or Rails content there. But then I'm also looking at doing like more of the peep code, like one hour tutorial kind of thing. And then having some of the longer form courses that you would get off of like Pluralsight and stuff. And then on top of that, I want to put together meetups and stuff like that. So if you're interested in helping put some of that content out, because I don't intend to do it all myself. I think there are plenty of smart people out there that I will happily pay a percentage to to generate content go ahead and go to topendevs.com slash author and you can just fill in the form and then I'll email you and we'll set up a time to talk and figure out what what you can contribute and in what way you would like to contribute. And then, but but yeah, so that's all the stuff that I've been working on and I'm really excited about it. Um, I'm probably also going to be doing some uh, webinars slash masterclasses uh, that are going to look a little bit like those peep code tutorials with Q&A at the end on various uh, career uh, focused topics. And those are the topics that I plan to tackle are the career growth, 
kind of personal growth topics and the leadership topics, because I don't see anybody covering them out there. And I think people have questions. So anyway, beyond that, I do have a board game pick this week. And I'm going to pick kind of a, an old go-to standby that I have. This this game is no longer in print, so I will warn you about that. You probably have to go to eBay to get it. It's called Shadow Hunters, and it's kind of like Werewolf, except it doesn't suck. So if you've ever played Werewolf, you know you basically lie to each other with no information to go on to decide if somebody's lying to you. Shadow Hunters, the way that it works is you get. Uh, you, it has a really small board that you move to that allows you to basically draw cards or, uh, you know, play against other players. And then, like, the black cards tend to do damage to other players. Uh, the white cards tend to heal or protect you. This is not always the case, but generally. And then the green cards actually allow you to, you can play it against another player, and they have to take an action that gives you a clue as to which team they're on, right? So if they're uh, shadow and the shadows win if the hunters are all dead. The hunters win if the shadows are all dead. And then there are neutral players that win if their win condition is met, right? And it, a lot of times, most of the time, it doesn't matter if the shadows or the hunters are all dead. But whoever gets to their win condition first wins. So anyway, it's it's a super fun game. Really, really enjoy it. Uh, but then it's not this arbitrary, do I know this person well enough to know that they're lying about being a werewolf? No, you just play them the green card. And, and make them give you a hint. So yeah, anyway, my friends and I play it and we'll we'll play a game in 15 minutes all the way up to 45 minutes, just kind of depending on how the flow goes. Uh, most of the games we play generally last about 20, 25 minutes. So anyway, so Shadowhunters, and I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. I think you can get it on Amazon, but I think you have to get it used. So anyway, uh, that's my board game pick. And then my wife and I watched Dune last night. And and I enjoyed it. My my understanding is is that the people that really really loved this particular movie have read the book, and I haven't. So, you know, I probably give it like a seven or eight out of ten. And I have a funny feeling that if I go and read the book and then go watch the movie again, it'll probably be more a thing. I've had a few people tell me, "No, you got to read the book now." So, anyway, those are my picks. And then one last thing, I have I've been playing with the soundboard, right? So you you know you hear me clicking stuff. But if you want to give us stuff for the soundboard, it could be clips out of Ruby Rogues. It could be just a clip off the internet. It could be something else. You know, somebody saying something funny that you think we could insert into the show. Send it over, right? Because I can add other audio to this and play it. So if that's if that's something that you'd like to contribute, it, it'll wind up on the soundboard for all the shows. So anyway, I'm looking for ideas because uh you know we're pretty limited you know we have the the drum for the joke the drum roll we have cheering clapping laughing a couple of other things but that's that's pretty much it and i'm going to be looking for stuff too but i would love to kind of flesh this out and make the shows a little bit more i don't i don't want to make them cheesy but i do want to make them kind of fun so there you go all right samuel what are your picks picks I didn't come prepared with picks. I feel like I'd be remiss for not mentioning uh, the fine folks that that uh, give me a day job. I work mm-hmm. for Bill Kite. Uh, we're a CI CD company. We run CI for Rails, for Ruby on Rails, uh, as well as a bunch of big Rails shops like Shopify and, and Airbnb. They're lovely human beings, and I'm very glad to work there. Yeah, and then I feel like I kind of littered my picks through our discussion. Like uh, async would be a pick if people aren't aware of async and the async gems. Uh, definitely explore them. The the support that was added most recently in Ruby three, and I think improved in three one. Uh, that stuff's all great to to read about too. 
Awesome. All right. Well, if people want to connect with you online or stuff like that, where do they find you online? Uh, I'm usually SJ26 on the internet. So I'm on, on GitHub and Twitter and yeah, probably Twitter. <laughs> yeah, uh, SJ26 is me. Love to have a chat. Awesome. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks for coming. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, folks. This was this was great. All right. Well, until next time, folks, Max out. Take care. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.